Hello listeners and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast, bringing you energy matters in an informal setting. My name is Richard Sverson. Today I'm joined by Catherine Benet, Professor of Energy Law at the University of Oslo. Welcome to you, Catherine. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. There's plenty of stuff going on on the policy regulation side, Catherine, but I thought maybe we could start on the issue that's maybe most pressing at the moment and is on the top of everyone's uh, minds, um, on the tip of their tongues, if you like, the Green Deal. That's going to be presented soon by the European Commission. Could you tell us a little bit about what's happening at the moment? What's coming next week? Isn't there, is there some announcement imminent at the beginning of March? Yes, actually there are announcements almost every day, every week, part of this EU Green Deal. So the communication that set the different milestones has been already published. And now the European Commission is following it work program for 2020 going through the different proposals. Would it be legislative proposal or communications? So that EU Green Deal is really the strategy for the new European Commission. And uh, the main driver will be the EU climate neutrality goal by 2050. So what is coming up next week? What everybody is expecting is a concrete proposal for the European climate law. Okay. So what does that involve? That will be really the fundament for the other proposals. That's the act. Usually in European law, we define a legislative act by directive or regulation. And this time they choose to have a European climate law. So already it's a signal that's something that will be on the top of everything. Mm. And it will uh, really enshrine in law the climate neutrality goal already backed by the European Council in in November, which is of climate uh, neutrality goal by 2050. So the climate law, I'm trying to get my head around this, Catherine, so the climate law is a part of the Green Deal, but how does it differ from a directive or a regulation? to those who have not much of a legal mind as myself? Exactly. That's a very good question. Actually, it will not differ very much in terms of legal bindingness because it will be binding on the European Union uh, primarily and possibly on the member states as well. And that will build on the architecture of the energy uh, union governance system. That was is expected, but we know very little in terms of what will be the, the, the exact architecture. But in terms of content, what is expected is that to have a legal act mm. that will define the targets of achieving net zero emissions for the EU countries as a whole, with a reduction target of that will be defined further, but by 2050. And that will really be the overall goal that will guide all the other proposals. So all the other EU policies will need to contribute to this goal. Mm. And that will be sector wide, which is also a commitment that we find in the Paris Agreement. So there is here a cleaning to all the commitments under the Paris Agreement and the new push from the European Commission to have more ambitious climate policy. I mean, the content here, you say it's going to be concrete, there's going to be concrete proposals. 
Are there any numbers that the listeners can expect here? I mean, is there is there a proposal to increase the reduction of carbon emissions from current, you know, 40 to 55 percent or increase the targets for renewable energy? Yeah, so what has been announced is that first it will enshrine in law that general goal of climate neutrality by 2050. How it will be done, that's a big question. What has been announced that after that climate law, there will be a European climate pact that's for the end of the year and a series of legislative initiatives, mostly amending existing legislation, notably an increase of the EU greenhouse gas emissions target for 2030. Today, it's 40%. And the European Commission has announced that by the summer this year, it will present an impact assess plan to increase the EU greenhouse gases reduction targets for 2030 to at least 50% and towards 55% compared to 1990 levels. So that has been already announced. Okay, thank you for correcting my mistake there anyway, Catherine, because I think I said around 30%, but there's 40, of course. <laughs> yeah. yeah, perfect. And the second uh, target that is on the table for a possible increase is the renewable energy target. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this one may also be increased in the future. There is no so concrete proposals yet, but it's, uh, it's on the list. That brings me to my next question, which is looking at the timeline. So we can say something's concrete is going to come next week. What, what are the next stages in the legislative process? Well, for this proposal, as any proposal, it has to be adopted by the European Commission which has the monopoly on legislative initiative. Mm. And then it will be examined by the two parts of the <laughs> co-decision process with uh, the parliament and then by uh, the European Council. Mm. Okay. So it will be a back and forth. But you, see, you said um, the, the proposals for tightening the climate targets and, and the renewable targets will come in the summer this year or is it next year? Mm, could be uh, mostly, uh, most probably next year. Next year. Okay. So I'm thinking about, you know, maybe those listeners who are looking for some hints as to whether it'll be tightened by how much, what could, you know. Yeah, then... for, for the greenhouse emissions targets, that will be this year. Mm. Uh, I say by, by the summer, but for the renewable energy targets, most probably next year. So that's the initial timeline. So how do you think this will impact the energy sector in Europe and specifically here? We're based we're in Oslo today and, 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 and the Nordic companies and, and the sector. As any EU policy, it will have huge impact on the Nordics because we're part of the same internal market and we are neighbors. Mm. Uh, So it will impact the regulatory framework, but as well business models in terms of price signals. A big question is, of course, the increase of the CO2 price Mm. and what the European Commission will propose on that. That's, uh, That's another question, but it's also on the table. And alignment of targets. We see already that Norway has aligned its climate policy on the European one, concluding bilateral agreements for the non-ETS sectors with the Climate Cure 2030, as well a document uh, subject to public consultation, and it is part of the ETS. In terms of regional cooperation, it will be important to follow up for uh, the development of the infrastructures and not least for financing, the sustainable finance framework, which has also uh, been revised and will be uh, further revised. Uh, so there are many aspects of business in, in the Nordics that will be impacted. If I could just return to the ETS, Catherine, in the past when we've had 
you know, a key legislative process such as backloading, the MSR, the introduction of the market stability reserve. Carbon prices were very much driven by noises coming from parliamentarians, uh, MEPs saying something on Twitter. Do you think that is likely to repeat itself, that in the toing and froing between the, the three key elements in, in the legislative uh, package, if you like, or the way that policies formed, do you think there will be kind of noises coming from there that could uh, indicate one way or the other how tight the, the ETS market could become? I think so as well, uh, mm -hmm. that we can expect a very tough battle. We already see that on the discussion of the EU budget, some states, uh, some member states have indicated that they will oppose some uh, proposals or they are very uh, reticent to, to any uh, tightening of the targets. And Poland reserved as well uh, from the um, European Council conclusions uh, related to the climate neutrality goals. So we may expect very tough discussions on that. Concerning the concrete proposal of the extension of the EU ETS, for example, to shipping, mm -hmm. uh, there are already tough uh, discussions at the European Parliament. So mm. we may expect uh, more to that uh, respect. And in terms of sector coupling? Yes, yeah, sector coupling is the other big buzzword at the moment mm. uh, in, uh, in Brussels. And uh, we know that the European Commission is working on the strategy. So it's not called sector cobbling, but smart sector integration. Okay, of course. Uh, yeah. Everything <laughs> is smart today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this is in, uh, in the making and it will come probably by end of this year or beginning of next year. But it is crucial because so many things are going on between the different sectors the different energy uh, system sectors that you really need to connect the dots. I think that the clean energy package was very much an electricity one. And we need to uh, integrate what is going on uh, in the gas sectors, but as well heating and cooling sector, which has not been addressed properly, and to put all these different sectors under same uh, level playing field. Now that you can produce gas from power and you can't have different types of decarbonized gases that will contribute to decarbonization of the energy system but as well to other sectors. So it's both sector coupling and sector integration. Absolutely and of course with the transport sector, I mean you mentioned, mentioned shipping but of course road transport that's a that's a huge area of potential opportunity for, for carbon reductions. Isn't it? But um, how do you expect the Green Deal to be received by sort of either by member states? I know there's always there's always a bit of a, a gap between how certainly these elements are taken on board or by industry or by the energy sector itself. It's funny you ask because on uh, two days ago a US colleague asked me the same. Okay. Really. <laughs> do you think really the other member states will, uh, well the member states will uh, like and follow the proposal Proposal. Part of the proposals have been proposed by some member states already. So if you look at uh, what has been proposed on carbon tax adjustment, it builds on proposals from uh, France and Germany. When it comes to other member states, they may be more reticent if we look at Eastern Europe, because it will be tougher for them. Of course. And there are competitiveness issues. Others look at the proposal as a big opportunity. So they will, and, and uh, Europe will take the lead on some proposals and as well some battles, trade battles uh, against competitors abroad. So that will be received more positively. Besides member states, the private sector 
I think, see a lot of opportunities as well. I mean, a key element here of maintaining competitiveness and a key element for industry is potentially this issue of carbon border taxes. So do you expect or how likely is it, do you think, that a part of the Green Deal will be the introduction of a carbon border tax to maintain the competitiveness of, of, of Europe's industry? A carbon uh, border tax on imports from countries that have less strength than climate policy has been already announced by uh, the commissioner designate, uh, so Ursula von der Leyen, uh, in her political guidelines. Mm. So it is very probable that that will come, uh, but it will be very difficult. It won't be easy because it triggers global trade rules. Mm. So you, we are basically talking about a carbon border uh, levy, and this is something which is very difficult to justify under uh, the rules of the World Trade Organization, WTO. You need to comply with a lot of principles uh, regarding non-discrimination, market access, fairness, uh, differential treatment that will be triggered by, for example, a product's carbon print. Uh, regulation under that carbon border tax. Absolutely. So the devil really is in the detail here, isn't it? And I think that this could take years and years to iron out or come to a, to a, an acceptable legal framework for both the European and its trading partners. Exactly. That will be that will be a difficult battle. That will be a legal as well exercise. Mm. So good stuff for lawyers. Uh, but. It is important to include that in the discussion of the um, EU Green Deal, which is as well a growth strategy mm. to protect the competitiveness of the companies, of the industries, and therefore it is part of the package. Because if you increase the targets and at the same time you don't protect the European industry, they may leave Europe, so that's the carbon leakage risk. Mm. And they uh, made it to uh, outcompete them uh, compared to international competition. You mentioned gas. I mean, the decarbonisation of the gas sector is also going to be crucial for Europe to meet its 2030 and its 2050 targets. How, how do you see this progressing? In a way, it's funny the way gas has re-entered the discussion area mm -hmm. uh, lately, but it is important because it's part of the energy market. And I said clean energy markets was very much on electricity, but we see that through gas, we can as well decarbonise sectors quickly, uh, more quickly maybe than having a full electrification at once. So it will, play, it will play a role in the short term as well. And here it leads very quickly to a discussion of the different types of gases that can be used, decarbonize natural gas through, for example, carbon uh, capture with uh, permanent storage, but as well uh, the production of low carbon gases including hydrogen. Mm. I mean, hydrogen is a bit of a buzzword at the moment. And, you know, it's, a, you know, some are talking about a speculative bubble in terms for, 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 for in the equity markets concerning the companies that, you know, hydrogen companies. What's the regulatory framework here for, for hydrogen? First, we have been talking about hydrogen for a while. Mm. I really think so. 10, 15 years ago, we were already talking about the hydrogen society. But now, yeah, with the new thinking and new technologies, it's again possible to think about deploying really hydrogen on larger scales. Because what is interesting with hydrogen is that it can really increase uh, its share in the decarbonization of the energy mix because it's very flexible, it's diverse, it's an energy carrier, it's a feedstock, it's a fuel, and it can make 
a bridge between the different energy carriers and sectors. And it is really at the crossroad of several technologies uh, that are relevant for the energy transition. It can also uh, facilitate the integration of uh, renewable renewables uh, to a larger uh, scale and, and to uh, bring flexibility in the system in terms of grid balancing and seasonal storage. The other advantage is that we have in Europe a huge gas infrastructure mm. so that we can use that network for hydrogen transport with, mm. uh, with, through the uh, repurposing of infrastructures. Mm. So you don't necessarily need to build new infrastructure, which is always controversial in Europe. In terms of legal framework, that is something that the European Commission is working on mm. because clearly uh, the gas directive, uh, which is still from 2009, was not thought uh, elaborated with hydrogen in mind. So those uh, rules may apply to hydrogen, but there will be a need for uh, adaptation also to include a higher share of hydrogen to just to incentivize hydrogen integration into the system. Because of course, as you know, many countries uh, have announced a coal exit, you have an influx of very, very cheap gas coming into Europe. You know, gas has become in focus as a way to sort of decarbonize. It's certainly cleaner than coal, but in the long term, question marks are around its permanence, especially, especially if you're being net zero carbon by 2050. But do you, does the, the regulatory, does the Green Deal sort of say much about this or do you expect it to, to contain elements? Not yet, but it will. Also in terms of definition of what is a low carbon gas mm. and what will be acceptable uh, in terms of uh, emission reduction and as well in terms of investment. And that's the discussion we had just now around the new project finance through the project of common interest under the fourth list. Mm. There was a lot of noise about the gas project that were supported through that list. And we know that uh, there will be a tightening of the rules regarding uh, sustainability in terms of um, emissions for those cases, but as well in terms of financing. It's already in the making mm. for the project. So, in, in a sense, the target of, of a lot of uh, policy of the decarbonisation has been the coal sector. Now it's almost the natural gas sector with hydrogen potentially being, being the, the solution here. Yes, mm. exactly. And, and, and that's something that the Green Deal would, would address. Mm. And, and the financing framework is also key here. Mm. You need to know where you put your money in. So, both the uh, sustainable finance framework but as well the revision of all stated guidelines, for example. That will be key to make the framework consistent. Do you think they'll be loosened then, state aid guidelines, or, or tightened or made more specific? That is a big question. Mm. Would it be tighter? Would it be broader, leaving more discretion to the member state? Or will, did, will they be even more descriptive than they are today? Because they are very detailed. Or will the hydrogen producers um, um, move to, to the UK? 
<laughs> oh, <laughs> let's see, let's see. We don't know yet. We don't know yet. We don't know what the, what the frame was. Still move, negotiating. Absolutely. Catherine, thank you very much for, for, for enlightening us on, on what to expect from the Green Deal and, and beyond. I hope we can uh, continue this discussion when we have more clarity and more details emerge. But thank you for joining the Motel podcast this week. Thank you very much. Well, listeners, that's all for us. Um, remember to keep up to date with all our stories on Montel News and follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Goodbye.